we'll be out of here by one o'clock, give or take. Now I'm just, I'm kidding, I'm going to be sensitive of time. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I didn't want to try to, uh, to rush through the next section that we have in, uh, in Genesis. And because I uh, knew I was going to be using Deuteronomy 6 in our baby dedication, uh, I thought that we would return to it as we close out the service. You know, one of the things uh, that comes through, we were, uh, as the kids were doing their musical, you have the kids looking for evidence, the who, what, where, when, why, and how. You have uh, the congregation that's singing about the promises of God. Basically, uh, everything that we do this morning is captured in the, this pattern that you see that goes through Scripture, which is God reveals Himself to His people, and then His people respond to that revelation. So, all through Scripture, there's a pattern. God reveals, we respond. God reveals, we respond. Everything that we do on Sunday morning, ultimately, we're doing as a response to something that God has already said or done or explained. And you have something of that same sort of paradigm or pattern going on in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me just point out uh, just a few things to you in the, uh, in the brief time that we have left uh, this morning. Start at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Let me read verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today will be on your heart. You will teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You will bind them as a sign on your hand and they will be as frontals on your forehead. You will write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Bow with me in prayer. Father, help us now to see how your revelation, your self-disclosure gives us reason and occasion to respond in praise and adoration and obedience to you. Thank you for the clearest revelation of yourself in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that his Holy Spirit would be our guides this morning. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 work hand in hand, uh, hand in glove, so to speak, and lays out for us at the beginning this pattern of revelation and response. Notice in, in verse 4, the revelation, there is something that God is revealing to the people about himself. Listen, Israel, hear. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. God is saying something about himself. The truth of the matter is, is that from the very beginning of time, as we know it, when God created, unless God makes himself known, there is no way that we as creatures can know him. Anything that we know about God, we know because he has revealed it to us. And the primary way that God reveals himself to us is through words. Even here in Deuteronomy 6.4, the call up front is to listen. 
to what is going to be said. Listen to what God says about Himself. Listen to what it is that God is asking of you in response. In the time that we've had in Genesis, we've seen this pattern played out, perhaps not explicitly, but, it, but the pattern is there. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, God speaks the world into existence, but for our purposes, He makes Himself known to Adam and Eve when He speaks a word of blessing on them, be fruitful and multiply. He gives them a command so that as they know Him, they know that there is a response that he's soliciting. Well, as I by entering into the garden, this new world, this new kingdom that he's created. God calls and they respond. You fast forward a little bit further, we can drop in on Noah in chapter 6 of Genesis. God speaks to Noah and reveals to him what it is that he is about to do. In response to what the Lord reveals, Abraham obeys and builds a boat. He can enter into prescribed means of salvation. Revelation response. Then we can skip ahead to Abraham in chapter 12. God calls to Abraham, tells him to leave his homeland, to go to another land, and Abraham responds to that revelation by leaving and traveling. He enters into the land in Genesis chapter 12, and God said, this is the land that I'm going to give to you and to your descendants. And to that additional revelation, Abraham responds by building an altar and worshiping God. Time and time again, all throughout Old Testament history and even up to the New Testament, God makes himself known by the spoken word, then by action, and then interestingly enough, almost always after he acts, he comes back and he explains what it was that he just did before he even told them that he was going to act. God reveals himself, and his people respond. He reveals himself primarily by words, and no surprise then that this same idea in the New Testament, in our Sunday school classes today, we have several passages from Hebrews. One of the passages was the opening verses of Hebrews chapter 1, where the writer of Hebrews said, In former times the Lord spoke to our fathers in, through the prophets in many ways, in many proportions, but in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son. There it is again. God speaks... But the climactic revelation that God gives is through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. John picks this up in his gospel in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then later he says in 118, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God has explained Him. All that God does, all that God says, He says to disclose Himself to us so that we can respond to Him. 
That's verse 4. Verse 5 gives us what the response, the intended response for God's people ought to be. So God declares something about himself in 6-4. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And then verse 5, here's the response. The response to hearing and knowing who God is is that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's it. Just love him with everything that you are. Easier said than done. But before we even get to that, let me, let me pause and, and ask a question. When we gather together as a people on Sunday morning, what is the, what is the goal, what is the objective that you have when you enter into this room? There are numerous things that we could say, multiple things that we could say, that Scripture itself lays out for us in the New Testament. But most essential, what is fundamental to what we do when we gather here is, we are responding to the revelation of God when we gather together. In other words, if God gives us His Word so that we can know Him and so that we can respond to Him, that ought to shape the way that we think about our preaching, our singing, our Bible study. Why do we do those things to begin with? Do we just have too much time on our hands and so, well, you know, Sunday is wide open and we might as well find something to do? Or do we come to hear God's Word so that in hearing God's Word, our hearts can be drawn to Him and we can love Him. Do you study God's Word merely so that you can gain knowledge or so that you can sharpen your intellect or so that you have good arguments or good rebuttals to the chaos in the world around you? Or, first and foremost, do you go to God's Word because it's in God's Word that you come to see Him and know Him and your heart is shaped by that? At the end of the day... If all of our preaching, if all of our studying, if all of our teaching, if all of our singing in response to what God has done does not cause us to love God more, we are wasting our time. So God shows himself to his people so that we can respond to Him in love, but this all-pervasive, all-consuming kind of love, love with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, in which case we feel like, well, I, I can't even get out of the gate on this. Where do you even begin? Notice how good and kind God is. He gives us a starting point. In the very next verse, in verse 6, after saying that we're to love Him with all of our heart, He says in verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. I take it then that one of the first ways that we learn to love God and we grow in our love for Him is by learning His Word. If God makes Himself known by His Word so that we can love Him, then certainly there must be a connection between Loving God's Word and loving God. You can't, listen to me, Edgewood, 
you cannot be close to God and be far from his word. It will not work. If I say to my wife, I love you, but please don't talk to me. (laughs) Aside from the fact that that is not going to go over well, if you heard me claim that I loved my wife, but I was not interested in hearing her talk to me, what would you think about the quality of my love for her? You would have real reason to question whether or not I knew what love was. Or, if I said, I love it when my wife does things for me. She makes my favorite meal. She sees to it that the kids don't burn down the house. She does financial planning. She, she keeps the house schedule. All of these other things but I really don't want to take the time to sit and converse with her. I don't want to hear what she is thinking. I may love what she does, but do I love her? Similarly, we could say there's a way that you can, on the one hand, profess to love God, but give the lie to that statement in the way that you approach His Word. You cannot, in any sort of consistent, real way, profess to love God, but be indifferent to what God says. It just won't work. And Jesus gets at it along these same lines when He's teaching the disciples. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you listen and do something with the words that I've given you. A little bit later in John 14, 21, Jesus says again, He who has my commandments and keeps them. Notice there, it's not just merely knowing God's Word, hearing it, it's having and doing, responding to what God has revealed in His Word. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Do you you hear how that goes full circle? Jesus says, if you love me, you will take my word and you will will live on my word because that's me speaking to you. And then Jesus says, so he reveals his word, I take his word and I live by it. And Jesus says, and the one who lives by my words, that's the person that my father and I will reveal more of ourselves to so that they can grow in their knowledge and love for me. Let me just make a, make a very simple suggestion to you. If you are flat in your Christian life, it may be worth your while to ask the question whether or not you are living by God's Word. Because there is no way that your heart is going to be stimulated 
with all the other stimulants that are out in the world around us unless it is being driven and shaped and motivated by the Word of God. And then as you get towards the end, you have the idea that this idea of loving God by loving His Word and doing it is something that is a process. So it goes from the instruction, presumably to the adults, to what they're going to do with their children. Verses 7 and following, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. This, this is what happens in a Christian household when parents instruct their children. They do it bit by bit, day by day, consistently over time, and they grow in their understanding and their knowledge of the Lord. It's the same thing that happens in God's household as well. This is the family of God. How is it that God will cause His children to grow in their knowledge of Him and in maturity? He does it by His Word. It's the Word of God that gives us birth, that gives us life, Peter says at the end of 1 Peter chapter 1. And then in the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says... And long for the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow in respect to salvation. There's never a point in time at which God's children outgrow His Word. Therefore, if the only way that we come to know God is by knowing what He has told us about Himself, what He has explained to us, then the question that Edgewood ought to ask itself as we go and scatter individually, as we regather again together as a church body, what is my desire? What is my goal? The greatest gift in life is God Himself. If you believe that God is the greatest gift that can be received, that there is no greater joy or satisfaction or contentment than knowing God, you want to know, how do I get more of God? And God kindly, graciously is saying, you get more of me when you listen to me. When you hear me give you in words what is on my mind, and what is a reflection of my will so that you can enter into that and enjoy fellowship with me. When you come on Sunday morning, what characterizes your talk? What do you love to hear about when you gather together? Grandkids' Little League games... What happened at work? Who the Falcons drafted? Cal Pitts. Challenges that you're having with the kids. What's going on in the world of politics? Or do you come and say, this is the place where more than any other place, I know that I'm going to be inundated with God's Word and being inundated with God's Word and hungering for it, my love for Him will grow. That's what we want. 
That's what the kids are singing about. They want to see and know God so that they can love Him. That's what we want in this church body, and that's what we want to set as priorities for everything that we do. We want to take what God has given of Himself and respond with an attitude of love and worship all the days of our life until we finally stand face to face and we get to respond with absolute perfection. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for this day. We thank you for what it is that you have done for us. And not only that you have done something for us by providing a substitute for our sins so that we can be delivered from the judgment that we deserve, but you have made known to us that we need a substitute, that we need salvation. You have made known to us how we can receive that forgiveness. So we thank you and we praise you that all that we need to know you have already spoken and given to us, that you have revealed yourself to us and that you are inviting your people to respond with love and adoration and worship, characterized by obedience as we walk day by day by the power of your spirit. Help us to do that now as a congregation as we go out from this place in all that we say and do, both in the home and outside of the home and even in the community. And it's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray, amen. Well, as we stand and exit, uh, we're going to just close out with a wonderful song that speaks of our salvation in Christ. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Let's rejoice. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed. Child and poor.